Glad you're here. My name's Drew. I'm the pastor here um, at Hope Community Church in Columbia Heights, and I'm, I'm really glad you're here. I, one thing I wanted to uh, just let you know about is next week, we're baptizing some people, which is really exciting. Um, and uh, we'll be doing that right after the service. So we kinda, we're going to kind of continue our service. Not kind of, we are going to continue our service by uh, heading to Stan's house, which is just a few blocks away. Uh, and Stan promises to have heated his pool at least to a not freezing level. And uh, we're going to dunk, dunk some people in Stan's pool celebrating uh, people's lives in Christ. So excited. Hopefully you can come with us. Uh, just take a few minutes to go down the street and celebrate that together. So we're excited for that. If you're interested still uh, in being baptized or even just want to ask, should I be or uh, what does that mean? Um, I'd love to talk to you. And if you are one of the people getting baptized, today we're going to do a little quick baptism class, just talk about what we're doing. We're going to do that in the nursery. And so the nursery will be converted into a quick classroom after the service. So the nursery is way down the hall. So if you are getting baptized, head out right away after the service so we can do that um, together. Um, I don't have a, a, a funny or memorable wedding story. Story, my wedding is very memorable. It's the greatest day of my life. <laughs> I almost didn't finish that sentence. I don't have a memorable wedding. I don't remember any <laughs> uh, But I do, um, thankfully, uh, because of talk shows, they ask people to submit funny stories. And I, I found some of my favorite uh, that Jimmy Fallon asked people to to uh, tweet out their favorite wedding. So I thought I'd just share some of my favorites. We accidentally put the wrong address on our invitations. Instead of directing people to our reception, we put the address of a funeral. <laughs> That's a funny slip. Hopefully that marriage is going well. That wasn't an indication of anything. This one's pretty brutal. My mother-in-law wore a wedding dress to my wedding. Well, that would be, I think that's not supposed to happen, right? Ooh, that might be a rough start. This one I think is just awesome. My brother's pants showed up eight inches too short. Isn't it awesome? It almost looks like it's supposed to be that way. Like it's Scottish or something? Maybe he's golfing? Oh, I love that. What do you do, right? You just wear them, take a picture, and share it with the world on Twitter. My dad was in charge of food for my reception. He gave him a, we gave him a budget of $500. He showed up to the reception. He has cooked up 200 worth of bar so hot dogs and nothing else. He told us years later they used the rest of the money to buy a freezer to hold all the hot dogs. <laughs> he bought $200 for the hot dogs. What a what? That's it. You, you just show up to the wedding. There's just a bunch of a crock pot full of hot dogs, I guess. Wonderful. This one is just sweet. I love it. All three of the grandmas unexpectedly showed up to the wedding in the same exact, <laughs> the exact same dress. That's kind of sweet, isn't it? I think they coordinated. They had to have planned that. How awesome is that? Um, I love this. We're, we're talking about weddings today because weddings are the beginning of marriages, and we're in a study in the book of Ephesians, and uh, we're kind of getting to the end. We only have a few weeks left of this study, and we're to a section in Ephesians where they're going to start talking specifically about certain relationships people have uh, in, in marriage, a husband and a wife, a child and a parent, and a servant and a master. Uh, and so today we're to the section um, talking about marriage, and maybe this is a section you've heard before, or uh, at least you've maybe heard parts of this section of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians up to this point has reminded us through uh, lots of uh, chapters, the first four chapters, uh, really uh, who we are. 
uh, and who we are because of what God has done, that he brought us from death to life, that he brought us from being orphans to children, uh, that he, he brought us from really having a purpose, and that was destruction, and our purpose now being life and joining him in his work. It's been really encouraging just to be reminded of this good news, this gospel. And so now we get to a passage that, if we lose sight of that part of it, becomes, um, can, can be a pretty harsh and hard passage. So I'm going to actually just read the passage first. Uh, uh, it's verse 21, it's in Ephesians 5, verse 21 to, to 33. And then we're going to kind of look at it a little differently than we normally do. We're just going to try to remind ourselves of why this passage is here and what's so important about it. I'm excited about this. This passage has really encouraged me this week as I've, and challenged me as I've taken some time to, to work through. Let's just read this together. This is in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 21. If you want to read along, everything will be on the screen. Otherwise, uh, if you have a Bible, you can open that up. Here we go. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and in which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish and holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. We made it. Good work. This passage um, is in the end of Ephesians 5, uh, which then there's only six chapters in Ephesians. It's going to go on to talk about, like I said, kids and, and servants and masters. It's going to talk about the armor of God. Um, this passage is in a section that actually starts uh, in this way. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. This therefore is coming from uh, all this talk about what it looks like to walk in love, to, to be people who've been changed by the gospel, changed into new people, and therefore then we get to imitate God. We get to be his children, and therefore then we get to walk in love. There's a lot of language in Ephesians 5 about walking, what it looks like now to be changed people, and now what it looks like to walk through life um, and do that in love. And so I think this is a continuation. It does take a little break here to talk about these relationships, but still, I want us to know, this is what we're talking about, being changed into God's people and walking in love. I love how Eugene Peterson, he writes in the message, the beginning of Ephesians 5, Watch what God does and then do it. Like children who learn proper behavior from their parents. Mostly what God does is love you. Keep company with him and learn a life of love. Observe how Christ loved us. His love was not cautious, but extravagant. He didn't love in order to get something from us, but to give everything of himself to us. Love like that. I like, I like when his... His, uh, this is the message version of the Bible. It's Eugene Peterson writes his kind of commentary on it. I love this passage. It's way longer than the original <laughs> passage. 
but he's trying to explain this like, if, if you're with God, I love this, keep company with him and learn a life of love. So it's like the, the main thrust of what God is doing in our lives. And so out of that, because God has rescued us, made us his children, brought us from life to death, given us a purpose, asked him to join his work, we can now walk in love. And what does that look like? Well, it looks differently in different situations, but ultimately these are, these, are, these are opportunities in our relationships to do this. And so Ephesians 5 starts out, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It uses this submit word. Actually, Colin prayed this word before, that prayed that we would be people who would submit ourselves to Christ. And this passage says, if we're gonna walk in love, right before this talks about being filled with the spirit, singing spiritual songs and hymns, People are thankful to God, and it says also for filled with the Spirit, we would submit to one another. That we would serve one another. Why would we? Out of reverence for Christ. I remember um, this passage very specifically because the first time I ever met a man uh, years ago at a church, I, I got a job doing youth ministry, and the f- one of the first weeks I was there, I remember I was sitting down against a wall watching a room full of kids play ping pong and hang out, and a, a youth leader who had been there many, many years sat next to me, and I had not met him yet. He said, I want to meet you. I need to know some things about you. I was like, okay. Uh, I think at this time he was about 65 years old uh, and he had been a construction worker his whole life. He was very strong and I noticed that. And he said, uh, I need to know if you're loving your wife well. And I said, oh, well, yeah. Yeah, I think. Did you talk to her? Or is she? Uh, he says, well, if anything, don't forget we're here to outlove each other in our marriage, to die and then hang out with Jesus. And then he stood up and he walked away from me. And I thought, that was weird, but I'll never forget it. For him, uh, a life in marriage and really life looked like how do we outserve each other? I think there's an element to that as we talk about this submitting to Christ and then submitting to one another, being under the authority of one another, even being willing to to step down so others could be raised up. This word isn't new in scripture. It's all over in the New Testament. It's actually in a lot of places. We could, I found 15 different types of relationships in 38 different passages. Here's just a few of them. Here's a few places this word is shared. That Jesus is called to submit to his parents, demons to disciples, Israel to God's righteousness, everyone to the government or authorities, spirits to the prophets, God the Son to God the Father, everything to God the Son, this is my favorite one. There's a whole bunch there's like you to me, then me to you, then us to them, and them to us. This is just like two, it's summed up in the passage we just read, to one another. Uh, wives to husbands, serving to master, younger to older. And in this passage, as we look down a little bit farther, we're gonna see this over and over in Ephesians 5. Now as the church submits to Christ, Christ, the bride of Christ, submitting to the groom, Christ, it's, it's pretty incredible. Like it's, Jesus has done the work in us and changed us. So this isn't even a begrudging, I guess, I guess I'll follow you. I hope you're not a terrible leader or terrible to me. Christ is the one person we can go, yeah, of course I can submit to you. You're so good and so kind and, and your work has been only to rescue me and make me better and make me more alive. Um, Lynn Kohick says it this way. She says, indeed, Paul's revolutionary insight is that if believer's life is hid in Christ, if the believer died in Christ and is raised to new life, 
then submitting to one another believer is merely submitting to Christ himself. I'm saying this submitting to one another isn't a like, now that you're a Christian, you have to submit to each other. It's a, if we're submitting to Christ, this will be an overflow of that. The spirit will fill us and we'll be an overflow of this. I do like to use the word merely here. I, I almost laughed the first time because it merely seems like, oh, submitting to Christ is like, no big deal. Uh, I believe in my life it's very hard to submit to Christ because I want to run and submit to many other things around me. And I think the waters we swim in in our, in our culture don't, don't tell me that I should allow someone else to tell me what to do or, or who to be or what truth is or love is or justice is. But here, as we're changed in Christ, as we die to ourselves and are raised a new life, we get to submit to Christ. And from there then, as changed people, we can submit to one another. So this passage in Ephesians 5, we kept going. We would just go through it. Normally, we kind of go through a passage in, in the order. But this passage, I think, is really important um, to understand it, that we're going to go backwards. We're going to kind of start at the end, build that foundation, and then we're going to kind of build it back up to the beginning. Because maybe, it, in your experience, I know in mine, I had heard the first part of this, wives submit to your husbands, a lot more than I've heard the rest of this. So I think it's really important for us to understand what, what does this life look like? And we hear right in Ephesians 5 at the end here, it says all, all, uh, it, it call, what it calls wives to and husbands to. And then it says, this is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. Pastor Steve, our founding pastor, I hope he, he says, this is the big twist is what he calls this. We're reading this going, okay, it's telling me how I have to be as a husband or wife. And then he goes like, what? Oh, it's, we're still just talking about Jesus and the church. It's explaining to us that the reason why these things would happen is because these are just pictures of, of the gospel, of Christ and his church. Because we might have heard these passages, maybe you've heard the first part and just heard that wives should submit to husbands but not the rest. Or maybe you heard just, just the middle part. Husbands, you need to serve your wives like Christ. Serve the church, you know, a happy wife is a happy life. Whatever she needs you do that makes everything okay. Maybe you just have heard the last verses where it says, love your wife, respect your husband. And if you just say, if I just work really hard to love my wife and she works really hard to respect me, then everything will be okay. But I want us to, to stop and not forget the picture here that's being shown. I want us to remember that the gospel is what changes us, that we be moved and changed by remembering who the groom is and how he's pursued his bride, us, how he's washed over us and sanctified us and made us new. I also want us to be reminded this passage isn't just for people who are married or about to be married, thinking about marriage. Ephesians 5, 22 through 33 is for all of us. And should today, hopefully, my goal is that it would encourage all of us to be reminded of this incredible groom who has married us, broken bride. I remember reading this passage at a conference. I was sitting next to high school kids. It was like at a youth thing. And someone's like, we're going to read through this passage. And the guy read it like I just did. And a high school kid next to me was like, why are we reading this? I don't even have my license yet. <laughs> Good point. <laughs> Good point. He's thinking, what does this have to do with me? And I hoped that that moment with this kid we would be reminded of this God who pursued us as a groom would pers per pursue his wife. And we weren't, we were kind of given tips on how to be a good husband or a good wife, but that's not my hope today. My hope is that we 
remember this great mystery that's been revealed to us, this mystery of the gospel that has rescued all of us and a God who loves us dearly. Now, these, these three um, sections we're gonna be in the next three weeks, I think are all give, all give us a picture of the gospel. They're not really just rules. Here's some rules on how to be a parent, how to be a husband, how to be a, a servant or a master. I think they're all, hey, if, if this is what the, how the gospel's changed us, then in our relationships, we get to bear the image of God in, in very cool, unique ways. Ways that are different than what the culture around us would say. These are similar to what we called household codes in the, in the time, historically, they would be these codes of how households would work. Um, they'd define relationships in those and what a husband and a wife should look like, what a child and a a parent should look like, how that should function. And spoiler, the gospel really changes these. I wonder how much Paul's writing these to explain, hey, don't just live in the way that the culture around you lives. See how the gospel is, is shown off in the way you live. So the culture that they would have been living in, as this was written, would have had a few things that were really maybe important to understand. These things aren't real different than what we experience now. Something that was really important was reciprocity for them. So if, if you give something to someone, then they owe you something back. In fact, people might even use this to get back at people. Like they give you something knowing like now he has to give something back. And if you weren't able to give something back, it could actually take honor from you. It could actually put shame on you and the people around you. Culturally, uh, you were connected to people, your family, uh, maybe your et- the ethnic group that you're in. And so when something happened to you, it actually affected the people around you. People weren't viewed as just a person. They were viewed as within a family or a group. And so someone could give you something, and if you couldn't pay it back, it could actually affect you and your whole family. Some people carried honor with them and higher value with them. Often people could even be honored, which would mean someone else would be shamed. There's sort of a a middle school economy there where like, I'm gonna tear you down because it builds me up. I guess that's not really middle school, right? That's just like social media or <laughs> many adults all the time. There, there was an opportunity to maybe give an honorable person a gift. There's people who are valued as kind of honorable people and typically that would be a male, a husband, a master, a father. These people um, had just value and were considered better. And some people had no honor. Uh, it was just their duty to serve the other people. These would be women and wives and kids and servants. If they gave to someone, it wasn't considered, uh, they had to give anything back. It was just considered that was your duty, your expectation. You should just be pleased that that honorable person, that valuable person allowed you to serve them. So if, if you see that, what's kind of mixing around, these passages are gonna be pretty bold and they're gonna be pretty different. And the gospel is gonna change what those relationships look like. Even just our first passage we look at, Paul's saying the gospel says that we submit to one another. Husbands to wives and wives to husbands and kids to parents and parents to kids. All of a sudden, everything's leveled. All people are equal. They're all valuable because they're created in the image of God. Grace changes all these things. So there's a gospel culture that happens where grace changes. We all bear the image of God. We're all equal, but maybe have different roles in our culture, but still not less valuable. We're honorable because God has made us honorable. Everyone's free to serve one another. I don't serve you. I don't give to you just because you gave me something. I do because I've already been given everything in Christ. 
Jesus has paid it all, and so I can give to you. There isn't a tally sheet of what I've done and what you've done, and so that's how my relationship works. Like, I give a lot to them. They don't give much back. I don't know if I'm going to continue. This kind of economy that worked in relationships just gets destroyed, and now there's just this new economy, which is we've been given grace upon grace upon grace, and now we get to serve out of that. It's, it's pretty incredible, and so I think this is the culture that Paul's speaking into. In fact, even in many household codes around, uh, other than this one, wives and kids and servants might not even been spoken of. It would just say, husbands, tell your family what to do, uh, and you rule your family. And masters, you rule your servants, your slaves. Tell them what to do. Treat them however you want to treat them. There's a fathers do the same. There's not a, not a submitting to one another. And so as we look through this, I want us to be thinking about those things, what kind of people were swimming in then, and those things aren't very different, right, than what we see even now um, for us. And so we want to see what this picture marriage is going to paint today. What's the picture that marriage paints of the gospel? It makes me think of a t-ball game. I I got to um, uh, be a t-ball ump in high school and college, which was a lot of fun. Uh, I got to watch some really good baseball. <laughs> but I remember, I remember a kid hitting like a really good hit, right? Which like makes it like almost out of the infield in T-ball. <laughs> and I remember uh, he got to first base and there was kind of a pause in the game. And I said, hey man, good, good hit. And I said, you're such a good hitter. I noticed that your, uh, your coach, who was his dad, also is a pretty good hitter. You must have taught him a few things. Like joking with him, you know, like you. And he was like, no, no, sir. My dad taught me things. I was like, no, I know. And I was trying to explain to him, like, sarcasm. And then I thought, he's four years old. What am I doing? And then they're like, hey, ump, we need you to ump the game. Um, but that picture, though, was in my head because I think uh, sometimes uh, we might think of a thing like marriage as, uh, like, it's the ultimate. It's the pinnacle. And God happens to look like marriage rather than a marriage and relationships are created to actually bear the image of God, like all things we get to do, and all of us. So today I want us to look at the picture of the bride and the groom and how the gospel is shown in this. This language is used actually throughout scripture of Jesus being this bridegroom and us being his bride. And so we understand this picture. This would hopefully motivate us and encourage us in this image we get to bear. So this starts in Genesis 1. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God he created them. This is way back, right in the beginning. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. It's actually an element of submitting there, right? They get to, they get to be fruitful and increase. This, he brings a, a man and a woman together and he, he says, hey, I want you to care for the things around you. This is when all things are right and good, right? This is before the fall, things begin to break down, sin enters in. And so God caused the man to fall. This is a, that's the, in Genesis 1. In Genesis 2, we kind of get like a, another version, a zoomed in version of the story of creation. It says, so God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. This is how it happened. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place in the flesh. And then Lord God made a woman from the rib they had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. And he says, this is like the first song in scripture. This is how, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh and she shall be called woman for she's taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife 
and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. We've read this verse many times in our church. I think it's very important for us to see what it was like before things broke. Do you see what happens here? God makes takes a part of Adam, his side, and makes a woman. It's this like great picture of them together, complimenting one another in this. Adam is like thrilled by this. I this is bone of my bone, this is flesh of my flesh. It says, and then what happens is they come together as one, they say one flesh in scripture. There's this great unity that happens. This connection of like you become almost this one person and you're both naked, you're exposed and there's no shame. There's no reason to be shameful. And then things go wrong in the first marriage. A woman said to the serpent, um, if you remember this scene now, uh, Adam and Eve are, are in, in, the, in the garden and God says, hey, this is all yours to take care of and to just be with me, to dwell with me and be my people. And he says, but there's one thing I don't want you to do is, is to eat this fruit. This is a, an opportunity for you to just Submit, o- obey me, and also know that this doesn't help you. This brings death to you. And the snake comes, talks to, to Eve, and the woman said to the serpent, you may, we may eat from the tree, from the may, fruit, from the trees in the garden, but God did not say you must, you must eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you'll die. So she's telling the serpent, hey, I'm not supposed to eat this fruit. God says don't touch it or eat it or I'll die. You will, not, you will not certainly die, serpent says. God's lying to you. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will see like God, knowing good and evil. Essentially saying, you, if you eat this, God knows that you'll become God. You no longer need God then. You won't die. In fact, you'll become God. When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for, for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. You see what happens? Their eyes become open, and they realize they're naked. And and that shame they didn't feel now comes over them. And they had to cover themselves up. And so then God comes and looking for them and they hide from him. Can't really, can't really hide from him, but they try to hide from him now. They're maybe embarrassed and feeling shame. We shouldn't have done this. We turned from him. What, what's going to happen? And he said, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. So I had, this is, this is Adam saying this. God says, what were you doing? He said, I, I heard you, but I was afraid of you. A God who they dwelt with, who loved to be with, had this relationship with. Now they say, I hid from you. I was afraid of you. What a change, a quick change in that. And he said, who told you that you were naked? This is God. Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and ate it. See how, see how quickly their relationship changed? Adam and Eve and Adam and God's. He says, what happened? He goes, it's her fault. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you've done? And the woman said, it's the serpent's fault. The serpent deceived me and I ate. Now it's this like blame game mixed with not, not unity, disunity in them. 
quickly all that unravels, becomes broken apart as they move towards wanting to be God, not wanting, thinking they need God. These things happen, and so God's bride becomes cursed. Cursed to have broken relationships with God, with each other, with creation. It goes on in Genesis to, to say that the curses would cause uh, the wife to want to rule over her husband and her husband to rule over her, to, to, that there'd be pain now, that there would be death now in marriage and in, with your children and with work, all broken. And God's bride seems to run from him. Seems to feel the pain of brokenness now. But God does not leave his bride. Ever. Even though maybe they didn't think many times as we read through scripture, they don't need God. Maybe they don't want God. They think they found maybe a better God. Maybe they just think they can be a better God. Find themselves broken and hurt and alone. Their God doesn't leave them stays with them, carries them through. In fact, in Isaiah, we hear more language of this God as a groom and with his bride. No longer will they call you deserted or your, na- or your land desolate, but you'll be called Hephzibah, which means my delight is in her. You'll go from deserted to my delight being in her. Or your land Beulah, which means marriage, for the, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a young woman, so will your builder marry you or your creator marry you. Just like a young man who pursues and marries a young woman, your creator is going to marry you, is going to continue to pursue you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. You hear this language? He's, God sees his people, his church, as this bride, even as she runs away from him, as she turns to other lovers, he still pursues her and never leaves her. We hear the same language in the Gospels in Mark. Uh, he's, his, uh, him and his disciples are asked, hey, Jesus, your disciples don't fast. Are they like not religious? Do you not believe in this? This is when religious leaders are trying to trick Jesus always into saying something wrong. And he says, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. He's saying, I'm the, bride, I'm the groom and I'm here with them. Why would they fast? They're here with the groom right now. God's people, his church, his bride is with him. The same language is continued used as we see throughout scripture, this image of God being this groom who pursues and loves his bride. We know that not long after this, Jesus is willing to rescue his bride in such a profound way. He's willing to to die as if a guilty bride has been sentenced to death. Her groom runs in to save her. He takes the death penalty for her. He says, no, I'll die I didn't do it, but I don't want her, her dead. I want her raised to life. He's willing to take the punishment and the death and the burden of the cross on himself. Then death can't hold this groom. He's raised from the dead. He conquers death. He makes a life for him and his bride. He unites them eternally. One flesh. 
Jesus says in the Gospels, I want the, my bride to be just as the Father and I am, one, just like we are. Easter becomes this wedding celebration. Jesus promises the best reception ever. Maybe you thought your cousin's reception was pretty awesome with the chocolate fountain. It was good. Maybe your roommate in college had a cool reception because they were at a barn and you threw axes. That's pretty cool. Maybe your uncle's third wedding was cool because it had lots of snow cones. Oh, that was cool. That was pretty rad. Do you understand the reception we're going to have? It's described in Revelation. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. Listen to this. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne say, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. Does that remind you of something? It's going to be like it was. And they'll be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. All those things that were brought upon by our, the bride of Christ, disobedience and turning from God that sin brings will be gone because our groom has never stopped pursuing us, never stopped loving us, never stopped drawing us near even as we run away, carrying us through times when we couldn't walk. It's, it, it's an incredible story of a marriage that, that happens because the groom, this bridegroom will not stop pursuing his people and to the point of death for them so they could have life. This is our story. This is the story of the gospel of a bride and groom, a love story of all love stories. Capital L-O-V-E, love story, the greatest. Better than any Hallmark love story. Can you even believe that? There's a story better than that. It hasn't even ended yet. It's gonna be incredible. You think it's good now? It's gonna be so good. And this story is for every person in this room. Your bridegroom has followed you and never left you and has made a way for you to continue to be one with him. It's good news for all of us. Every single person here, every kid and staff that will meet in this school this week, it's really good news for them. It's really good news for every person in our towns, and our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. It's really good news for every person you're gonna encounter this week. They have a groom who has pursued them and loves them and has made a way for life. The good news that Jesus never stopped pursuing his bride, loved her, made her beautiful, and one day will make her perfect is the story of the gospel. This is the good news that our relationships get to show off. Isn't that incredible? It's, it's mind-blowing to me. This week in our small group, we were talking about this, and I, every time I think, I can't believe he'd use me for this. He knows how like, messed up I am, right? How messed up all of us are. And he says, I'm going to use you and your relationship as you're filled with the Spirit to show off this incredible story so others could come and know this life. So that's true. If that's, if that's this mystery that's been revealed to us, if that's the good news of the gospel, then in the relationship of a husband and wife, we get to project this out to the world. We get to show this image to the world. And so let's move back up our passage. We started with this mystery that is Christ in the church. So then out of that, if that's true, then well, how should husbands love their wives? Well, in this picture of this story, husbands are in the role of 
Christ, it says, husbands love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. It's incredible. There's a, there'll be a time where there's not stain or wrinkle or any blemish at all. That's, that's, I don't even know what that's going to be like. It's good, but I really can't even fathom how good that is. Husbands get the opportunity to play this role, to give themselves up for their wives, to wash them in the water through the word, this opportunity, whether they help just soak their wives in scripture, that they would know the truth of scripture of who they are, how, much, how, how they're loved. This also is an image of baptism, reminding that Christ has brought them from death to life, building them up. We get to be builders of our wives, I love this phrase, presenting her as radiant. Do we get to, we we get to be people as we're filled with the spirit that help our wives become radiant. Are you being part of the beautification process of your wife? Jesus makes us holy and blameless. We don't have to make our wives holy and blameless, but we get to point them and encourage them and build them up him, towards him. There's even more. There's a lot for husbands in this one. We need a lot of instruction. In this way, same, the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body. These words mean like nourish and nurse. Nourish their bodies, just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. You hear this over and over. He says, hey, here's the thing you get to do because Christ did it, because you're just showing off what Christ has done. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. That's just quoting our passage from Genesis we saw. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. This section is encouraging us in this unity. There might be a reason maybe even for a husband to be encouraged in that. Sometimes a man can and want to be independent and do his own thing and run after something or just use people to get the thing he wants. He's saying, no, no, remember you're one flesh. You're unified just as Christ is unified with the church. Is unity a goal in our marriages? A unity in a marriage can speak volumes to the people around you. Speak the gospel to the people around you. This could be a helpful question in your marriage. Maybe if you're making a decision, is this causing disunity or unity for us. I love that it says feed and nourish. Are we people who nourish one another? Bring life to one another. This really is just explaining Christ-like leadership, right? Servant leadership. A willingness to die for someone, to lay down preference for someone, to give your life, to love and serve and build up your wife. Not because your wife deserves this, but because you are submitting to Christ and his spirit empowers you to love in this way. We get to outlove our wives, die, and hang out with Jesus. My daughter recently uh, was digging through a box of like scrapbooky paper stuff in our house and found this piece of paper. This is actually from our wedding, I believe, right? From our invitations or something in our wedding. No, I don't know what this is from. Uh, I just got I just got word, it's not from my wedding. 
she found this though, this piece of paper, this scrap of paper, and she said, here, Dad, I think you, you know. And I, I said, hey, I saw you found this. And she said, yeah, you should keep it. I said, oh, she's like, you need to remember this. <laughs> and I'm like, I like that. It says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has loved the church and gave himself up. This is the part that I remember, though. I said, oh, okay, it'll, remember, it'll remind me to, re- to love mom well, right? And to love you guys. Maybe it will remind me of my wedding. I said, yeah, 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 but I want to make sure you remember the Jesus stuff. I thought, that's a good word. <laughs> she's remembered, she knows this passage better than I do. She's saying, no, Dad, don't forget the Jesus stuff because that's what leads you to the other stuff. I don't know if she was really saying that. She just was, it's one of those moments where God kind of spoke through a kid. Where does it come from, though? So this sits on my nightstand now. I wake up and I read this. And I'm like, okay, today I get to love my wife and my kids like Christ loved the church because he himself did this. And now we get to the top part of this passage. The top part that sometimes we just start with this or just hear this. It says, wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in every way. Now once we get here, we understand this is explaining the part of the, the relationship. The wives get to play the role. They get to picture the church. God's church who loves him dearly who pursues him and submits to him as he submits to them. This passage is encouraging a wife to submit to her own husband. Two, sometimes this passage might be one that you think uh, just like all men get to tell all women what to do. This is a, uh, these two people in this one relationship. This isn't about a woman being quiet or controlled or falling in line. This isn't a passage I think that's explaining if you should work outside the home, what your job should be. This is describing a role, a noble role in a marriage where you get to bear the image of the church in that relationship with Christ. That you and your husband together get to show off the wonders of the grace that comes through Christ and the church and the way that you submit to each other and love one another. I've heard this similar story multiple times. I've had this experience as I've met with couples in premarital. Um, as we walk through this passage, and say, hey, what do you think this passage means for the two of you? And a wife asks, she says, hey, does this mean when we go out to dinner that he always gets to pick the restaurant? <laughs> and, and I said, well, yeah, kind of. And the husband, the husband goes, nice. <laughs> and I was like, let's keep reading <laughs> And then we read the rest of the passage. And I say, you get to lay down your preference and take your wife where she loves to go eat. And he goes, shoot. <laughs> Which wasn't a moment where the spirit filled him. And he, <laughs> you see how that works? There's like this amazing submitting to one another. Where I think there could be a great fear. I, I've sat with women who explained a very ungospel version of this where they're told things and hurt by this and told, no, 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 you, no, you go to Hardee's because he loves Hardee's, right? That's a whole other thing. We need to meet with someone if Hardee's is their favorite <laughs> restaurant. But th- this is encouraging a wife to say, your husband wants to lay down his life for you like Christ laid down 
his life for the church. What an amazing person that you get to live life with. So this passage I I think is encouraging is that wives can have jobs, husbands can stay home, wives can stay home, husbands can have jobs. Everybody can have jobs. Everybody can cook or clean or wash the the dishes or the laundry. uh, Everyone can be strong. Everyone can be sensitive. Everyone can be artsy or everyone can love sports. This isn't a passage that I think Paul wants us to use to figure those things out. He wants us to say, this good news of the gospel is incredible and it's going to change you. It's going to change you to the point that even in your relationships, they're going to show it off in the way you care for each other. Everyone gets to love Jesus, submit to him, love his people. And when we're doing that, the spirit of God is going to move in us and is going to move people towards him. It's this, it's this image. A friend just did this. It was really helpful for me. It's this image of like if we are constantly trying to lord over each other and rule over each other, we just kind of keep pushing each other down, destroying each other. But when we have a, an image like we have in Christ of us lifting each other up, always building each other up, submitting to one another, we actually build ourselves. This can be really hard. As, as I kind of end here, I just want to encourage you in this. This this reading this, I go, this is cool. But if you've ever been to my house for like not long, this doesn't always happen real well. It's hard, right? And we've all experienced marriages that are really hard. It's one of the things that causes the deepest wounds in us is when this isn't happening. And if you've been married, you know this doesn't really always work. We don't always bear the image. Maybe you've just been around this or just even being with friends who are experiencing this not happening hurts. Even in the best of situations, we're broken people who have not reached the greatest reception of all time yet. And so it's broken. And this is where these relationships, again, get to point to Jesus. That marriage is not the ultimate, but Jesus is the ultimate. This is where uh, uh, Tim and Kathy Keller wrote a book, The Meaning of Marriage, which is very encouraging and encouraging to all people. It's very gospel centered. And they say, only if God's love is the most important thing to you, you'll have the freedom to love your spouse well. Just encouraging. And maybe a different way to say, as we walk in love, if our love is, is dependent on God, if we run to him first, if we cling to him the most, out of that will flow these other things rather than maybe setting up systems so that you can be really good at loving or respecting, maybe first just love with everything you got the God who will empower you. Our failures, our repentance, our forgiveness comes from him. I think as we are around each other and we realize, oh, we're kind of broken, us continuing to repent and turn to him will actually continue to bear an image of a church who knows where the ultimate is and where real healing is. It's from our groom. It's from our groom who doesn't leave us, who isn't selfish, who doesn't ignore us. He doesn't use harsh words towards us. He doesn't run to others and complain about us. He could. He's our groom who pursued us since the first day he made us. He's forgiven us a million times and continues to forgive us. He's never turned from us. He's been faithful always to us. That's really good news. That's our God that we get to worship. I'm gonna invite our worship team up. So we get to now sing songs and remember that good groom that we have. 
we get to then leave here and in our relationships, we get to represent Christ. We get to be filled and overflow as people who are changed and loved by God. Our heart's desires get to love Christ and his bride that will ultimately fulfill us. That's what we could do, church. This is really good news. So as we continue to worship and celebrate with our groom, I have a few things I want you to consider. Um, first, we have an opportunity to take communion. It's in the back of the room out the doors. Um, we can't, we're not supposed to eat or drink in here. And so uh, we take communion outside. That's an opportunity to remember his death and resurrection, that the day that the groom came and stepped in for us and, and took death so that we could have life. Also, there'll be people in the back of the room who would love to pray for you. Um, you can ask them for something specific or just walk up to them and they would love to just pray over you. We also have a few things I just want you to consider. Do you know the enormous love Christ has for his bride? That's for you. Do you know this? Do you, how do your relationships reflect this good news? Maybe this isn't the category for you in marriage, but considering how, how do your relationships reflect the gospel? Who helps you love your spouse or your friends or your family? Well, I need others to remind me of this and just keep pushing me to Jesus who continues to fill me and helps me love those around me. How could you overflow the love of Christ this week? What would it look like this week to walk in love with those around you? Let me pray for us and we'll continue by worshiping. Lord, thank you for your goodness and your kindness towards us, that you would pursue us, that you would love us, that you would use us to help others know you. I pray you would use our marriages. The people in this room who are married, are about to get married, that those marriages uh, would be a, a place that people would see a vision for what forgiveness looks like and unity looks like, what selflessness looks like. They go, that's, that's incredible. They'd be moved by that. And then we get an opportunity to say, yeah, you know, there's one who's even better than this, who's perfect. And Lord, I pray that we'd wake up remembering that great day when you're going to make all things right and that there's going to be days that that's what's going to get us through the day, and I pray you'd continue to put that vision in front of us of that great day. We get to celebrate that together. We love you, Lord. You're really good to us. We pray these in Jesus' good name. Amen.